Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 38, How Do Eggs Work? Way back in the day, when I was still fruitlessly pursuing a career in academia, I read a collection of essays by French literary theorist and philosopher Roland Barthes. This collection of essays, called Mythologies, looked at odd things like WWE wrestling, soap commercials, steak and chips, citron cars, everyday things, kind of mundane things. And I thought, this is kind of strange, what could you possibly have to say about these weird things? But to my surprise, each essay was fascinating in its own way. And strangely, it was maybe one of the most defining moments of my life. Because in that moment, I came to realise that everything, absolutely everything, is fascinating once you delve into it. But what does that have to do with birds? This has everything to do with birds. Sit down and be quiet. The cheek of some people. Now, it's quite possible that you see an egg almost every day. They sit in our fridges. They are a staple of many people's diet. We all know that they are delicious and versatile. You can boil them, fry them, poach them, scramble them, stick them in a cake. Almost as good as a potato, precious. But quite often, as soon as something becomes part of our everyday, it becomes mundane. Ah, it's just an egg. I see them all the time. Which is a shame, because being ubiquitous in no way robs something of the qualities that make it incredible. And eggs are incredible. They at once sustain and nourish a developing baby bird while providing protection from the outside world. They are strong enough to withstand the parent bird sitting on them, yet fragile enough for a chick to break out of. They are porous enough to allow the chick to breathe, yet designed to stop bacteria and disease from invading it. And to top it all off, they are rather pretty too. David Attenborough once described them as nature's most perfect creation. Yep, he was actually quoting someone else. But far be it from me to disagree with Sir David. So today, let's look at the egg with eyes open anew, and we can try to rediscover their beauty and their ingenuity. When we think of an egg, we will almost always picture a chicken's egg a beautiful white or brown oval object that can fit in the palm of your hand. But in the bird world, there is a staggering diversity of egg size, colour and shape. The world's smallest egg belongs to the bee hummingbird. It weighs half a gram and looks like a tic-tac. The largest belongs to the ostrich and it is 40,000 times bigger and can weigh more than 1.3 kilos. Yeah, elephant birds did lay bigger eggs, but they're rather extinct now, so we won't count them. When it comes to colour, there is almost no end to their variety, from the robin's egg blue to the red of the seti warbler, to the porcelain-like jewel finish of the tinamou, to the almost black green of the emu. They can be speckled and splodged and scribbled, and they vary in shape from the almost perfectly spherical egg of the owl all the way through to the elongated teardrop or conical shape of the guillemont. But for all this diversity, every egg serves the same purpose. They are a life support capsule designed to protect and nourish an embryo while it grows. Birds don't do pregnancy, 
They do eggs. Their embryos do not develop inside them, they develop externally. And there are two reasons why birds do this. The first is flight. In their mission to be primed for flight, birds have done away with needless weight. They need to be lean and mean to get into the air. Wait, how does their emotional state help them fly? Carrying around a clutch of babies inside you is not conducive to getting off the ground. So as soon as the bird can lay an egg, it does. It expels that child as soon as it can. But there is a second, more important reason why all birds, even flightless birds, lay eggs. Bird embryos need the temperature to be around 37 degrees Celsius to develop. But the internal temperature of all birds is about 40 degrees. Simply put, their embryo could not incubate internally. It would be fried, rather ironically like an egg. It's just too hot. They have evolved in such a way as to make it literally impossible to develop their chicks internally. So that's why birds lay eggs. But let's now look at the thing itself and examine the anatomy of the egg. Examine. Look, we're going to avoid doing these stupid egg puns. Not really puns. This is a classy operation, and that kind of low-hanging fruit is beneath us. Now, this may surprise you, but all eggs consist of six different parts. Arguably there are more, but I'm going with six, because it seems like the right balance between doing an egg justice uh, without getting too complex. And the first part of the egg is the shell. The shell is made out of calcium carbonate. Now there are two places mother birds source this calcium from to grow their eggs. Some birds are able to draw it from their bones. They then replace it gradually through their diet. But some small songbirds are too tiny and can't afford to lose that much calcium to form their clutch. So instead, they need to find calcium-rich foodstuff to ingest to make their eggs. One thing songbirds turn to are snail shells. In the weeks leading up to when they will lay their eggs, they go on the hunt for snails, gathering up the excess calcium. So it's nice to think that some slimy snails are helping some baby birds start out in life. Now, the eggshell plays a number of important roles. The most obvious is protection. It needs to be robust and strong enough to contain and shield the developing baby from the ravages of the cruel outside world. Eggs may also be patterned to camouflage and conceal the egg from stalking predators, or they may be uniquely patterned to help the parent identify them. Birds that nest in large communal colonies will often lay eggs that have a unique pattern that the parent imprints with so that they can locate their eggs among the throng. One common egg colour, especially among songbirds, is blue. This blue forms from a pigment called... Ooh, bilverdin. That's... That, that, that's probably pretty close. Which is one of the very few blue pigments that occur naturally. It is speculated that the blue colour of eggs has a dual purpose. On the one hand, it is a colour dark enough to block out UV radiation that could be harmful to the developing chick but it is also light enough to prevent the egg from absorbing too much sunlight and heating up, which could also be harmful to the developing chick, again, frying them alive. The colour seems to have arose as a compromise between these two competing factors. Now, the shell, while having to be strong enough to contain and protect the chick, also needs to let other things out. As the chick develops, its metabolic processes produce water and carbon dioxide, just like us all. These byproducts need to be expelled from the egg, and fresh oxygen has to be brought in. 
On average, eggs have about 10,000 pores across their surface to allow this chemical interchange to happen through the process of diffusion. Diffusion happens when you get a high concentration of one chemical in one place and a low concentration in another. So in the egg, you get a buildup of carbon dioxide, and outside the egg, there's a lower concentration. Systems in nature want to achieve an equilibrium, so there will be a transfer of these chemicals through the pores, expelling the waste product and bringing in fresh oxygen. This is exactly the same process that happens with the cells inside our body when they want to get rid of waste and take in new resources. And given eggs are basically just a really big single cell, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Diffusion! Super handy for life. But while the shell wants this exchange to happen with the outside world, the last thing it wants is bacteria, or other nasties to find their way into the egg and infect the bebe. So the shell has an extra layer of protection against these pathogens. On the top layer of the shell is something called the cuticle. This is a thin, waxy film made of several proteins, some of which have antibacterial properties. In essence, it kills bacteria that gets on the outside of the egg before it has a chance to invade. So the shell is the egg's gatekeeper, letting the good things come and go as they please whilst keeping out any potential nasties. Now, the shell plays another important role in the development of the chick. As I said before, it is made out of calcium carbonate. As the chick develops, the shell will slowly dissolve into the egg white, and as the chick grows, it will extract this calcium and use it to build its skeleton. That's right, the eggshell becomes the bird's skeleton, which means for some birds the calcium has been on quite a journey, starting out as a snail shell, transferring into the mother, into the egg, and then finally into the baby's skeleton. So if you ever wanted a better picture of how nutrients travel through an ecosystem, I can't think of a better example. And this has an added bonus. It means that over time the shell gradually thins and weakens as its material is transferred to the chick's bones, so that when the chick is ready to hatch, it's easier to break out. Now if you ask me, that is pretty ingenious engineering. Now there is one last thing about the shell that may surprise you. The shell does not define the shape of the egg. In fact, the shell conforms to the shape of the egg. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Let me explain. There is an experiment you can do where if you take an egg and drop it in vinegar, over a day or so, the acid will dissolve the calcium carbonate. And what remains behind is the internal egg still held perfectly in shape by its membrane. The membrane keeps all of the egg's bits and pieces held together. As the egg forms inside the bird, it is actually the shell, which is the last part that gets added. Thin layers of calcium carbonate are built up on the outside membrane of the egg, and as that calcium carbonate sets, it conforms to the shape of the membrane beneath it. Now this membrane is the second part of the egg, and we've now taken care of that, so let's move on to the third part of the egg, which is the egg white. Or, if we want to be fancy, the albumen, which is Latin for egg white. So I guess we could just call it the egg white. This is the clear part of the egg that turns white when you cook it, unless you are a myrrh or a penguin, in which case it stays clear even after cooking. There is a reason for that, but we will talk about it in next week's episode, and that's just a little teaser there for you. So what does the album do? 
Well, the majority of it is just water, and close to 90% of it is water. The other 10% is an array of proteins. Taken together, they provide the chick with water and additional nutrients as it develops. It also forms another layer of protection, preventing bacteria from travelling from the shell to infect the baby. Now, when you crack an egg into a frying pan, you may notice that there are two white little squiggly bits on either end of the yolk. These are called the chalazae, another fancy word. It comes from Greek and means a small knot or lump. These are two twists of mucin fibres, which is a special type of protein. They wrap around the membrane that holds the yolk, and their purpose is to keep the yolk suspended in the middle of the egg. They essentially anchor the yolk to the shell. What is interesting is that each chalazate twists in the opposite direction, meaning that it is impossible for them to untwist, and so they are perfectly designed to keep the yolk in the middle of the egg. Now, we come to the yolk, the most delicious part of the egg, as well it should be, for it is the main food source that sustains and feeds the chick as it grows. It is mainly made up of fat, cholesterol, and more proteins, making it a delectable delight. I'm going to be honest here, just about every part of your body is made out of proteins, so saying there are proteins in an egg is like saying there is water in the ocean. There are lots of proteins in every part of the egg, mainly because they're the funny dead things that all join together somehow to make life happen. How do proteins work? Don't worry about it. Moving on. Now it's time to touch on the most important part of the egg, and that is the bit that becomes the bird. The fancy word for this is the germinal disc. This is how every bird starts life, as a single cell on the surface of the yolk. Over the coming weeks, it will start dividing, building itself up into a baby bird as it feeds on the yolk. As it grows, a little air cell in the round end of the egg will gradually grow bigger as the chick uses up the nutrients in the egg yolk and the white. Now, every egg starts with an air cell inside it. You know, when you boil an egg and peel off its shell, there will always be this little gap right in the base of the egg where the white just doesn't quite fill in. This is the air cell, and it gets bigger as the chick grows. Eventually, when the chick is developed enough, its beak will break into the air cell, and it will take its first breath, days before it even hatches. Again, this is why it's important that the egg is porous, and it has the ability to exchange air with the outside world. Because eggs breathe. Because the chick breathes. So, that's the anatomy of the egg. But there are some other points we need to cover, if we're going to do justice to this story. Now, we all know that for the egg to incubate, it has to be kept warm, 37 degrees. The majority of birds do this by sitting on their eggs. There are some exceptions, like the megapods, the big old brush turkey and their kin, who incubate their eggs in piles of rotting vegetation. We've spoken about these birds in our nest episode, so go back and check that one out if you haven't already. But for most birds, it is a case of incubation via heat transfer from the butt. Except, that's not actually true. When a parent bird is ready to incubate their egg, they will actually lose some of their feathers from around the base of their belly. This forms a patch of bare skin. Its technical name is the brood patch. Now the bird does this for the same reason that if you're in a life and death situation, marooned in the Arctic with your best friend, then the best thing you can do is strip down and cuddle together, skin to skin. It's a survival situation, guys, it has to be done! 
and that is because bare skin is a better thermal conductor than clothes, or in this case, feathers. The feathers are there to insulate the bird, to stop heat from escaping. And usually that's exactly what you want, but not when you want to transfer heat to an egg. And so the brood patch evolved as a handy little workaround. Now, the last thing that I want to look at before we finish up today is shape. Now, when we think of eggs, we think of the classic chicken egg, sort of broadly oval, one end is pointy and the other is rounded. But there is so much variation. As mentioned, our eggs are almost perfect spheres and hummingbirds are like little tic-tacs. But there is no egg that has elicited more conjecture and debate than that of the guillemot or the common myrrh. Now, we are going to meet the common myrrh next week and we will have a lot to say about their eggs, but for now, it's enough for you to know that myrrhs are members of the orc family. They are seagoing birds related to puffins, and they kind of look like penguins that can fly. They like to nest on cliffs in large communal colonies. They do not build a nest, but rather they lay their eggs straight onto the bare rock. Now, these eggs are conical in shape. To the extreme, they almost look like a teardrop, very pointy at one end, highly rounded at the other. They are also beautifully patterned. They are a brilliant bright blue with black squiggles and splodges that cover the egg. And it is believed that each bird lays a unique coloured and speckled egg that allows it to find its own among a crowd. But what has fascinated ornithologists for decades is the question as to why the myrrh lays such an extremely shaped egg. After all, very few things happen in nature without a reason. Well, for a long time it was postulated that maybe the shape of the egg kept it from falling off its narrow ledge. You see, if you take a chicken egg and roll it, because it is an unbalanced shape, it will roll in a gentle curving arc. The more extreme the imbalance is between the pointy end and the rounded end, the tighter that curve will be. So if you push a Murr's egg, it will roll in a much tighter circle. The theory was that because they were laid on narrow ledges, being able to roll in a tight circle would make it harder for the egg to roll off the cliff. And it was a sensible sounding theory. Although today, it is largely rejected. Instead, there are two different theories. Ornithologist Tim Burkhead observed that myrrhs are rather messy nesters. To put it bluntly, their eggs roll around in a lot of crap. That isn't me being vulgar. Their eggs are rolling around in literal poop. Myrrhs don't seem to care, but their eggs get caked in the stuff. What Tim noticed was because of the extreme conical shape of the egg, what happened is that the rounded end gets elevated and lifted off the surface of the rock, no matter which way it rolls. As a result, the rounded end remained relatively poop-free. And that is important for the chick, because that is the same end where the air cell forms, where the chick needs to breathe from. So the pores need to stay as open as possible, and as least poop-caked as they can. Now that could be one answer as to why the myrrh eggs are so elongated. But hold the phone, because there is a second theory. Another group of ornithologists ran the numbers, comparing eggs from hundreds of different species, and they found an interesting correlation. If a bird was a stronger flyer, it tended to lay a more elongated egg. The theory is that the shape of an egg is more elongated in the birds that are stronger flyers because it will keep the bird's body more streamlined. So if you had a more rounded egg, it would cause the body to bulge more, hampering flight, which 
isn't what you want. Now, while murres aren't the swiftest or most agile birds in the sky, because their wings are shaped in an inefficient way for flight, they do have to work really hard to stay in the air, so there could be something to that. Or, quite possibly, it could be a combination of multiple factors, pushing murres towards having these extreme eggs. Quite often in nature, we find that some adaptations arise not because they provide one advantage, but because they provide many. And so it could be for the murres. Now, there is much more that we could say about eggs. I feel I've only just started to chip beneath the surface. But the only thing that means is I may have to come back again one day and explore the egg again. And I would have no complaints about doing that. At any rate, I hope that in this episode I have convinced you about how amazing eggs are. And I hope that when you next open the fridge, looking for a tasty something to fry up, you will look at the egg with new eyes and see the strange little marvel of evolution that these small golden wonders are. Now, when we come back next time, we will be staying with the egg, but taking a little left turn to tell a strange story. I'll be taking you to San Francisco during the gold rush to tell you the tale of the egg war. It is... it's, it's kind of dumb, I'm not going to lie, but trust me, you're going to want to stick around for this one. Now, if you still want some more bird action, I've got some good news. Our bonus podcast called What's Up With That Bird's Name has just come out, and this week it is all about the Tinamu. They lay some of the most beautiful eggs in the world. But where do they get that strange name from? Well, for the low, low price of just $2 a month, you can find out all about it. All you need to do is swing on over to Patreon forward slash Bird of the Week or one word link in the description to find out more. And if you're feeling especially generous and want to make a bigger contribution, then you too can get a special thank you from me in the show. Just like my good friends Jill Chalker, Jody Little, Debbie Hode, and Richard Clark, the Minty Fresh. And as always, if you'd like to receive a bird in your inbox each week, then drop me a line at weekly.bird at outlook.com, and I'll add you to the mailing list where you will get a new bird lovingly delivered to you for free each and every week. I mean, hey, who doesn't want more birds in their inbox? At any rate, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next time. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. I'm not saying that I want to have skin-to-skin contact, I'm just saying that in a life-and-death situation, it's probably best to strip.